This episode of The Interchange is made possible by Absa and Timu. Hello and welcome to episode two of The Interchange season two. We're coming to you from Cliff Central Studios in Johannesburg. I am your host, Busim Kumbuzi. Now, is there such a thing as an enlightened despot in our wonderful continent of Africa? A benevolent dictator, you know, the sort that gets things done rather than the self-serving regimes of the past, which ruled with fear and assassinated opponents. A lot of people agree that authoritarian techniques can actually ensure better results than those realized by clumsy, democratically elected rulers. After all, is democracy even an African system of political leadership? And why uphold it if it doesn't work for us? I'm glad I don't have to be the one answering these questions today. We have four fantastic debaters in studio to enlighten us on the motion. This house supports the narrative that democracy was imposed in Africa and is therefore not the universal solution for African governance. In proposition, I have activist Tato Mugwena and Dumelo Bore, who is a politics student, keen linguist and avid traveler. In opposition, I have Eric Kazadi, who is an environmental management student and Instagrammer, and Batandwa Mdebele, who is a BA law student and debater. Our episode expert is Dr. Emmanuel Matambo, a researcher from the University of Johannesburg who holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Philosophy and Honours in Political Science, a Master's and a Doctorate from UKZN. He has published a number of academic articles on a range of issues from conflict resolution, democracy, African agency to the growing China-Africa relationship. Dr. Matambo, thank you so much for coming in studio. Thank you very much for your invite. And, uh, you know, you have a wealth of knowledge specifically on the issue that we're debating today. What would you say your opening thoughts are on democracy and authoritarianism in Africa? When we talk about democracy and authoritarianism in Africa, we have to look at it from a historical context, first of all. Mm-hmm. Because in, the, in the, the brand of democracy that we adopted after the collapse of the Berlin war in 1989 was out of sheer desperation. Africa was not ready, especially our political leaders were not ready for for democracy in, in its Western brand. So what happened was that the Soviet Union was collapsing. Zimbabwe had just gained mm. uh, independence. South Africa was on its road to mm. getting independence as well. So there was a shift because the Soviet Union was scrambling after Gorbachev became the mm. premier. So because of the dissolution of the Soviet Union, there wasn't much sponsorship that Africa could get from the socialist camp mm. during the Cold War. So our shift towards democracy in its Western sense was out of desperation because we wanted money and we wanted mm. to embrace the structural adjustment programs, mm. even if we did not know how to how to enhance the policies that were were argued for by the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. So our shift, therefore, did not come out of our own volition. It was because we needed money that came with the Bretton Woods Conference. Now, mm. when we talk about authoritarianism, on the on the other hand, it is. It is really an injustice to African history when people say we are not, we, 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 we do not com- co- uh, conform ourselves to democratic ethics mm. because it was not in our, in our brand. People had to, were held to account even back in the day. Mm. We had chiefs in Africa. We had kings in Africa, but there was always a revolution whenever a king, for example, was sought to act against the best interests of people. So it is very mm. patronizing for people to think Africa's are inured towards uh, authoritarianism and, and, and stuff like that. Mm. There was always uh, some semblance of accountability. Mm. There was what 
Uh, I think they call them lihotlas or something like yeah, that in, yeah. in South African parlance. Mm. But those are the elders who were the sages of, 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 of yonder. Where if a chief, for example, has to make a certain decision, he will consult those people. And those people would consult with the Indunas. The Indunas are people who would now get what exactly is happening on the ground. They would know mm-hmm. exactly what the people want. So leaders led, yes, but they led at the invitation of the, of the of general the populace. Yeah. So it is, it is very, Condescending for people to think as though Africans are not uh, are not inured are always inured towards mm. um, an authoritarian type of leadership. So those two things have to be looked at in context. There was some mm. semblance of democracy in the way that democracy is understood, but at the same time, we should not fault democracy as it was adopted in Africa. We should fault the intention behind that adoption. Mm. The intention was for us to attract foreign funds for us to win the favor of the United States, the favor of Britain, the favor mm. of France. It was not because our leaders really believed in the tenets of democracy. Mm. So let us we can we can blame the, 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 the our, our our leaders and how they adopted democracy. But democracy in and of it, sorry democracy in and of itself is something that is very laudable because mm. a leader has to be accountable mm. to the people that he or she or she leads. So it is an, an, an ideal uh, political system But the intention behind us Adopting it was out of sheer dispersion And that is why, where I find A lot of blame mm, Sure I mean, I, I can't wait to hear the sentiments that are going to come through in the debate. Before we get into the debate, a quick rundown of the rules. We are using the British parliamentary format. So we have four debaters and two on each side. The first two are proposition and the last two are opposition. Prop speaker one will go first and op speaker two will go last. Each speaker has four minutes to deliver their speech and in between the first and the last minute, the opposing team may ask points of information. Are we all cool with the rules? Awesome. Let's get started. Tato, I'm handing over to you to start the debate here. here. Thanks. Um, so um, to begin the debate, I think there are two things that I, I'm going to impose on myself, right? One, I'm going to discuss what the imposition of sort of democracy means, right? And why it's sort of um, benevolent dictators can can be a thing that exists and why they can succeed in a, in, in a continent like ours, right? So the first thing, I just want to limit democracy to sort of popular participation, right? Participation by the masses, right? Um, and so we don't have to defend, number one, that like Africa would not have chosen that system, right, of just popular participation. But what we see, what we think is imposed, right, is the type of democracy we have, right? When people talk about democracy today, they're talking about liberal democracy. They're talking about independent courts, independent media, and the, the rights of the individual, right? We think that those things are the things that are imposed. That, that type of democracy is the thing that is imposed, right? And here's why we think that that's, that's imposed, right? What you need to look at is sort of how democracy in, it develops in the West, right? So it's quite obvious that the continent was dominated and colonized, right? One minute up. Sure. Um, what you need to think about is how de- it, de- it develops, right? It develops from European modernity, right? Which begins with, I think, therefore I am. So everything that goes from that point is f- based on the individual and not on the collective, right? Which is in contrast to democracy, which is popular sort of participation. So what does that mean? For Africa, what does what does it mean, right? It means that when you come to a continent where things like I am, I am because you are, right, which is a communal sort of doctrine, right, it becomes a crisis when a, 
individualism is imposed on on that on that on that sort of on those sort of people, right? Because the institutions that they would have built would have would have been ones that enhanced um, sort of community and not ones that enhance individualism, right? Which is what we have right now. So why? How does this all link to sort of dictatorships and um, you know um, because community often links to coordination. Right. And individualism often links to mistrust between individuals. Right. If I'm an individual and I'm sovereign, I don't trust that the next person is going to stay true to my sovereignty. Right. Um, one minute. Right. Um, and when I'm when we're collective, I trust I have to defend you because without your existence, I don't exist. Right. And that's kind of the institutions that would exist. That's kind of what would go on before I go on, Eric. So the institutions that you like talk about things like courts oftentimes set precedents which are beneficial for the community and the entirety of that society your opening has not really been relevant to the motion okay sure here's where you're missing the point right each court so sort of courts premise on the fact that the liberal is sorry the individual is sovereign right that's what the thing is contrast that with the Lekhutla for example right both are systems of arbitration but the one seeks for a collective solution the other seeks for seeks for justice for the party that has been aggrieved so even then you see that the the courts sort of prioritize individuals in that in that regard but again how does this link to to sort of um, dictatorships right why dictatorships kind of have kind of worked and kind of uh have kind of sort of not received any show any any backlash is because coordination right while they may be repressive while they may be um bad right the level of coordination the level of preservation of community is something that many of these dictatorships have right so whether they're wrong and whether they repress their people is a separate discussion from do they preserve the community and is this what is going on in the in the minds of africans that's what we are, are arguing today that 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 they are successful simply because they yeah, they ratify what people are already thinking outside of the imposition of the radical individualism of liberal democracy. All right, Thanks. thank you so much for that speech, Tato. I'm now going to hand over to the first opposition speaker to rebut your case here, here, Eric. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so what we are going to tell you on opposition is that firstly, the African people want a form of democracy because for far too long have they been oppressed and it's something that it's an innate desire. But secondly, within the debate is about beyond whether or not it was imposed. The debate is specifically about the narrative of that imposition. So we think the like supporting of the narrative, something that's going to lead to worse leaders. But thirdly, we'll even question the idea of benevolence and whether or not an individual that has authoritarian rule and total rule can even be benevolent at the end of the day. Before that, a few points of rebuttal. So firstly, we aren't really clear what the proposition stance is, right? We think mm. a lot of the P1 speech is talking about things like philosophical things and not necessarily linking it directly to the motion at hand. But what we take away is the fact that African like communities are based on the ideas of, let's say, Ubuntu, right? Where it's looking out for the other and having that collective identity. We think that that's not mutually exclusive from democracies. For example, in democracies, we allow for things like tribal courts. During the um, Rwandan genocide, we had tribunals and things like that. So we are able to encompass these individual identity, like, I mean, collective identity um, things that he wants in a democratic system. What he had to argue was why, given that they can be 
be incorporated, why then is it still ben- better that we have a benevolent dictator over someone who is voted in, someone who has to be representative of the larger demo- uh, demographics, and someone whose mandate is to present to preserve all identities, right? Oftentimes, things that are based on one community only have only have a mandate to that community. Democracy is unique in that it oftentimes exists across tribal lines, or at least it should exist across those kinds of identity lines. So what is more relevant from that speech is the idea about how they preserve communities and therefore are successful as dictators and they preserve the being of individuals. This is something that I deal with when I talk about are they actually benevolent at the end of the day. So onto the first argument of opposition on why people actually want it. In Africa, we have a history of colonization, but post-colonization, we have a history of very strong armed military leaders, your Mobutu Sese Sekos, your uh, Idi Amin. We think these are individuals that have for far too long oppressed the um, African African voices and African um, and what the African people want. So we think that it's a natural progression that Africans would desire democracy because at least it gives them a say at the end of the day. We can't now trust that an individual will suddenly be benevolent towards them. Secondly, though, the narrative itself is problematic because when we have the narrative that it was imposed, it's likely to lead to leaders who have no obligation or don't even try to uphold like other individuals and uphold some sort of democratic principles. We think that the, this is what leads to things like press suppression. This is what leads to the suppression of opposition rulers and think of um, opposition leaders rather, because the idea is democracy is a foreign concept and therefore I have no obligation towards upholding it. But lastly, are they actually benevolent at One the end of the day? Left. Individuals like Paul Kagame have a history that has been unraveled of like oppressing opposition leaders, of exiling journalists that critic them. We think that benevolence, sure, they do like uphold the economy, but we think economic development without substantial development of the people on the ground is something that we should be against because it's not enough to have greater standards of living if you can't fully express yourself and express those identities that they speak of on proposition as an individual. So largely, we think that there's a lot, there's a huge work that needs to be done by Tumelo, but beyond that, they haven't, they still haven't shown us why benevolent or like benevolent dictators are likely to be better better for the people on the ground than a system of democracy which allows for them to participate and engage with the people in power. Proud Thank you folks. so much for that speech. Eric, I'm going to give over to the prop speaker too to conclude the proposition case here. here. Okay, I think as a point of departure, we ought to discuss this idea that Eric speaks about when he says democracy as a foreign concept, because democracy in and of itself, if you look all over the world, is something that's very much tailored to the context in which it exists. Now, the question that we then have to ask is that have Africans been allowed to tailor the democracy according to their interest? We think this is fundamentally not true, based on the fact that if you look at the history of Africa being a colonized, like countries in Africa being colonized, right? The colonizer then has much of and like more authority in dictating and detailing the type of state and how the state apparatus ought to work in terms of governance, right? And this is something that you as the colonized think this is something that we ought to aspire to and this then augments your view of democracy. We think this is fundamentally problematic in terms of how democracy should orient itself around the context in which it exists. We think this is particularly important because that mindset is that what is one that speaks to a liberal democracy, which Tut already alludes to, then focuses itself on individualism as, a, like individualism as the most important crux of that democracy. We think as Africans... 
I think as Africans, the most important thing and the most, the best way for us to develop as a society and form this governance, point. not yet, right, is the fact that we have to speak to the concept and the principles of Ubuntu because this is something that is inherently African and we need to tailor democracy to ourselves. Moreover, Eric wants us to, to like to do this comparative, right, on how benevolent dictators don't necessarily exist or if they did, how they're comparatively better, right? And in, the, in doing so, there's a couple of examples that we can use, right, whether it be the strongmen politicians or the Polkagames of the world. Let's look at what's necessarily, like, who's but like who is living a better life in Africa If we're going to compare like Yoari Museveni's like Uganda And how the Ugandan people are living As in comparison to Paul Gagame's Rwanda right? Which has one of the fastest growing economies Which then has like people on the ground Are like having living better lives Because economic, like having economic stability Allows these people to have mobility right? And that type of mobility allows for them To give their children like a better life But before I carry on that man disagrees Yes I disagree because the mobility Means nothing at the point at which you aren't able to to fully be expressive. So we think South Africa, which has democracies, is still comparatively better than both these strong armed dictators we talk about. No, but at the point, like that's not necessarily true, right? Because at the point in which you have, in essence, the capacity to question your government because you have the mobility to interact with them. If you're a poor person, right? For instance, if you're a poor person, poor people don't have that type of agency or confidence to kind of question their governance. But once you have a foothold in that state, once you have certain services that are provided for you and you feel like you have a certain solid income, then you feel like you are more likely and more able to, in essence, Challenge these systems The same reason why In South Africa As a comparative The people Like the black middle class Often terms Referred to as The clever blacks oftentimes are more critical Of the ANC As opposed to The people who exist In rural areas We think that comparison Directly shows you How economics Has a large part to play In whether people Can be And are able to Question the type of Governments that exist We think that's Particularly important Right Moreover What necessarily happens If you look at Uwari Museveni's Uganda Is that people Are far more brutalized Right And we think At the point at which You think that African people Are important you have to then value the lives that they're living and the type of kind of human rights injustices they are going through. And at that point, we think on the comparative, what is better, not necessarily the best thing, but what is better is Paul Kagame's like Rwanda. And we think that's particularly important. So when we tell you the fact that we ought to regret these type of democracies, we speak specifically to these liberal democracies because inherently they aren't African. They are something that we aspire to, that we ought not aspire to, because it's something that we should decolonize in our identities in and of itself and tell if it democracy to ourselves. We think that's particularly important and we tell you that as proposition we've already proven to you on the comparative what is better for the african so if you value the african we think that the benevolent dictators are far better thank you so much for that speech to melo and to conclude the opposition case and the debate in general here here batandwa Okay, so what we're mostly getting from the proposition side is this focus on the fact that we need to tailor democracy to like suit what the African people want, right? So the question that then comes to mind is then in what kind of like state are you actually going to be able to tailor democracy? Is it going to better yeah, yeah. occur in a state where there is a dictator as a, as a leader or is it going to occur in a state where actually um, the leader has been elected like democratically and is not um, a, a dictator, right? Where are we going to get this tailorization of democracy to suit what the African people want? What we argue from outside is that firstly what is better for the African people themselves is for them um, um, is to like to, to choose the, the type of democracy that they want to exist in. And that doesn't happen when we have these benevolent um, dictators, right? So Eric touched on this idea of the fact that we don't think that there is a world where a benevolent dictator can exist, right? Firstly, Proposition didn't really quite show how and why they think that a benevolent dictator exists. Because what we think from outside of the house is that the fact that um, a person is a dictator is that even though that they're, they're doing like good and that the economy is thriving and the uh, people are doing well, the fact that people are still suppressed within um their 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 communities within their their country that that is not good for them 
in and of itself because of the like quality of life that we're actually creating for these people, right? Because you can't argue and make the comparison of the fact that in South Africa, when you are part of the black middle class, you're able to question the government, right? Because in South Africa, there is free speech. Within um, Uganda, there is no free speech. So even if I, I'm economically like able and stable and like I have, I'm financially yeah. like stable, you're still not able to question that government. You still have to like work within the bounds that have been created for you. So you aren't actually, um, actually enjoying democracy to its fullest extent. But now let's move on to questioning what they really mean by this whole idea of the fact that um, focusing more on like what it means for us to say that we uh, don't support the narrative that it's been uh, um, democracy has been imposed on Africa, right? First thing that we argue here is that it hasn't been imposed on Africa. Firstly, people like in the way in which like Africa has developed in itself is that it, it, democracy, like the will of the people to want to rule themselves, is innate to being human, not because the fact mm-hmm. that it comes from like um, on that um, point. The, the the West can't then be like the argument that it's been imposed. Further, for us to say that it's been imposed lends itself to the fact that African people don't think freely and that they don't choose to actually like accept some kind of like concepts that they think are relevant to them as a people, right? So what? why is it not okay for Africans to look at something that the West has come up with and be okay with it and want to actually exercise it within their own point. lives, right? No, not yet, right? Further, we think that the fact that if you look at these dictatorships and how like elections occur within those countries, like if... um. Uh, you, uh, you look at Rwanda, right? When you look at that country, the fact that the, 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 the dictators themselves have to rig elections, they don't do away with the elections, right? Because people s- still want that feel of, I'm actually choosing who's going to be my leader, right? That, it, that in, in and of itself shows us that there's this will and want from the people to live within a, de- a democratic state, right? So we think that because of that, it's like extremely, um, problematic, um, um, for, for, for us to, to argue that, um, um, to argue the fact that democracy has been Imposed um, on on Africa on Africa, right? And also, if we look at, we can't in in any world argue that it's okay for us to accept the suppression of people in any kind of state just because it's better for them economically, right? So, like, what cost are we willing to go to in um um in terms of trying to attain this economic freedom, right? Further, it's not like you cannot be economically stable and financially like free. With it, like it, it's not like it only occurs in a state with a um a dictator, right? It can occur through other means. So why are we then willing to accept all the negatives that come with the dictatorship, um, when there are other options of actually like creating some kind of um like stability for the African um um community, right? For the last thing that I'd like to look at is this whole idea of the fact that um the 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 individual and like um the the the, the liberal participation and that people. Unfortunately, your time this. is up. Okay, it's four minutes. Dr. Matambo, a heated debate, I'm sure you'll agree. And I, I think the big clash that we have here is the idea of individual freedom being an end in itself, which is a, a, a tenet, a core tenet of liberal democracy versus the idea that individual freedom exists to serve the state. How would you help us untangle um, this clash in terms of moving forward with this debate? First of all, I should congratulate the the four speakers. All of them gave very reasonable and sound arguments. And then we have to realize that as Africans, because we still lag behind in terms of economic development, so this debate is not just intellectual. Mm. It is something that is also emotional because it it tackles the very existence of of, of Africa and, and the prospects for mm. for progress. Now. When you look at Africa and the countries that have really developed in Africa, a lot of people would, especially when you're talking about this, the whole concepts of benevolent dictatorship and stuff mm. like that. The first thing that will spring to mind in a lot of African minds is 
Paul Kagame and what he has mm. done in Rwanda in the last mm. 25 years. Well, it cannot be said that Rwanda has made a lot of strides in, in, in terms of its economic progress. But then let us look at maybe the concepts of growth itself and then we look at development. Mm. What has happened in Rwanda is something that has happened in Singapore, the, mm. the four Asian tigers. Mm. Talk about Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea and, 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 um, and Taiwan. So what those countries have achieved is economic growth and economic progress. Mm. But whether or not it's, it is development, that is another fact. Mm. Because I will look at it from, I will, I will look at development as something that is human centers. You can note, for example, give someone money, provide them for a job, give them a good education, but at the same time, steal from them their liberties. Yeah. They, they, they want to live a free life where it, a, a, a lot of people, for example, who argue for, for, Benevolent dictatorship will look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm. where, you know, you first start with survival and then self-adjustment yeah. comes Adjust. at the end. But then people at the end of the day would want to have a say, not only on who provides them food, but then they'd want to have a say as well on their life. How do you live your lifestyle? When China, for example, in 1978 embarked on its full modernization program and its reform, reform and opening up policy by Deng Xiaoping, Deng Xiaoping was very firm in saying, we are going to embark on a trajectory of economic development, mm. but we were not going to liberalize politics in the Western sense. Mm. Because remember, they, they had just opened up, they had just, China had just signed uh, its, demo, uh, its, its diplomatic relations with the United States, mm. but still it could not be won over to the United States because there is a difference in how the United, in, in how the Western world looks at politics and how the Eastern world, especially China, looks at politics. In the United States and in Britain, they look at the government as an intrusive, uh, and as an intrusive aspect of, 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 of human life. Yeah. So it, it is something that intrudes on people's private lives. That is why there is that disconnect. But if you look at China, for example, when, when, when I was in China about two weeks ago, they look at the state as an extension of the family, so to say. Mm. So you cannot revolt against your family. Mm. So that is how they look at it. Mm. Because if you look at the Confucian, Confucian ideology, the Confucian ideology of governance is that you can, you, once you are a leader, you get what in China they call the mandate of heaven. Mm. You are more or less appointed mm. by, by divine fiat, so mm. to say. So if you are appointed by divine mm-hmm. fiat, then that means people cannot rebel against you. Mm. But then, that is the trajectory that China set itself up in 1978. And it worked, economically speaking. But was it developmental in the, mm. in, the, in, the in the sense that it respected people's liberties? It did not. Mm. In 1989, for example, there was a Tiananmen Square, the June 4 incident, as it is called, where some people say thousands of protesters were killed because Chinese students wanted... Democracy. They did mm. not only want economic progress. They wanted democracy. They wanted mm. to have a direct say on who rules the who rules mm. the country. Mm. Mm. When that when when that happened, George Bush the first, the senior actually predicted that okay, now this is the fall of authoritarianism in China. But it was but it not. Yeah. They they were told no, we're going to take these political liberties from you, but we are going to give you economic progress. Yeah. And for about 40 years, China sustained an economic growth average of about 9.5 percent growth. The same thing is happening in Rwanda as well, where you have economic progress. Now they have what they call 
conference tourism. Mm. A lot of people will go to Rwanda. I think it has the fastest Wi-Fi mm. in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. So the the people, the, there is some semblance of progress being shown on at, at an economic front. But whether or not it is, is developmental is a subject for mm. for debate. Mm. And I would first of all advise our, our debaters especially mm. to read Thomas Paine's The Rights of Man in his defense for the French Revolution. Because Edmund Burke had just written reflections on the French Revolution because he was against a, revol- a, a revolution that was so violent. But that rupture had to happen for people to win their democratic rights. Mm. The, 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 the French monarch was a system that wasn't, was working against the basic liberties of people. Mm. So people were within their rights to rise against that. Mm. So in, 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 in his defense, uh, in, in, in defense of that, Thomas Paine talks eloquently, actually, about why people have the right to rise against dictatorial governments. Yeah. So here in Africa, we see what happened in Mauritius. We see what happened in Rwanda. Yes, economically speaking, those were really pro- progressive governments, but they were not people-centered, and that is a problem. Yes, That is why you have a, you have a situation where Pokagame has the arrogance of saying, no, if you turn your back against Rwanda, don't expect to not to suffer the consequences. Mm. And he justified that because he was liquidating, physically liquidating people who are opponents to to his government. So we need economic progress in Africa, but at what cost? Yeah. You know, yeah. Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore, in his book From Third World to First, that is another book that maybe people would find useful as well. He talks about how Singapore had to prioritize certain things. For example, it, it is an, of, of, of course, it is a very small country. It is a city country. It, it was threatened by the existence of Malaysia right mm. from the beginning in the early 1960s. So he actually admits himself, did we have to jail certain people for us to, to make sure that we are not deviated from, from our economic path? Yes, they had to do that. But then at what cost did mm. that come? Mm. That is the basic question that we should, uh, we should all be asking yeah. ourselves. So it is well and good to have economic progress, but let us make sure that whatever progress that we make, we have people as the Sinoja, as mm. the center of attention. Yes, mm. give me money. Give me a proper job. Give me a proper school. But at the end of the day, give me freedom to also mm. speak on who exactly is my leader. What liberties do, do I have? So that is, that is where the, 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 the Western, the Western world actually becomes kind of better than the, yeah. than the Eastern world. Yes. Sure. I'm going to throw it to our debaters now. I'll throw a couple of questions at them, specifically at some of the things that you have spoken to. Like if someone's just sitting at home listening and they've heard all kinds of rhetoric based arguments about what democracy is and um, how it came about in Africa and the future of democracy in Africa, how do we even define it in a way that makes sense for them to make their own decisions from a debate such as this? I mean, takers. I, yeah, I, I can answer that. I think. Popular participation, right? Can you participate? Can you have a view in the generals, how your society goes, right? Can you direct where your society goes, where it doesn't go, right? Mm. Do you have a voice, right? Is, is, is what democracy is, right? And elections, right? Elections are an arrangement. They are the institutionalization of you giving your voice. Okay. Right. And so, democracy is constantly having that voice to, mm. to be able to speak out and say, this is where I think we should be going. And the alternative to democracy, is it necessarily 
authoritarianism because I remember in season one, episode one, um, Billen Kletlovo talks about the alternative to democracy and she makes such a good argument that people leave the room thinking as problematic as democracy is, throwing it away, you know, could create worse outcomes for individual freedom. So is there a spectrum? You know, uh, or or can authoritarianism also exist within a context where this voice is still allowed to exist, to flourish, and is potentially institutionalized in systems? I mean, al- along that spectrum, for me, what I think is what you would get the kind of authoritarianism that should allow for that participation mm. or to be a benevolent dictator. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's mm. still a leader who has the final say. So they mm. aren't bound by what the people think they aren't bound to implement the like uh, the things that the people support but oftentimes at the end of the day they're also the ones who condition the society mm. to be basically an echo chamber of themselves right mm. so countries where benevolent dictators have been sort of um successful like oftentimes are asian countries like singapore to some extent china mm. and these are where the individuals are socially engineered to think that the leader is also right so then it becomes mm. a question of is it actually their voice or mm. has the campaigning and the, the backdrop of that yeah been so strong yeah. that it has changed them to just be puppets mm. at the end of the day. Yeah, because if you look at fascism, the the whole idea is that the individual exists to serve the state. And a dictator promotes an, a very extreme brand of nationalism using propaganda to maintain a hold on the people. So it is a very real question to ask, is, is this the people's voice or is this an echo chamber? Um, but, you know, uh, Dumelo, in, in, in the prop case, you guys advocate for this authoritarian figure um, within the African context, um, you know, coming into the picture. Why? Well, if you kind of look at Africa as a continent and how we ought to develop Africa, you have to look at like democratic terms of presidents. Uh-huh. They're very short and that type of development that Africans need has to be something that is a long-term thing that is sustainable, right? And we think if you have like, for instance, you have like two presidents in the, like a span of 10 years, two presidents want to achieve completely two different things. Then you have two things like one thing that is done half and the other thing that's done half, okay. no real development for the people on the ground. Mm. So we think as a prioritization of Africa as a whole, it's like the same way with Singapore, right? The type of like long-term development that they had that kind of allowed for them to kind of ascend. We think that's... Wouldn't you agree that, um, you know, we only want the sort of solution because we're in hard times? Because, you know, in hard times, people are willing to, to go along and support many, many different things that aren't necessarily things that they would pursue if they were going through good times. And for us to accept a political system, surely it would need to work regardless of whether we were developed or developing. Um, in, in which case, I guess the, the question is, even would you say, you know, that principally a dictatorship makes sense even in a developed context? <laughs> I don't know. So the, Tough question. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about the ethic, right? Which is why I kind of spoke about liberal, liberal and collective, right? Is that the ethic d- determines what you do. For example, right? When no matter how developed, how, no matter how rich or poor you are, you will always take care of your children because that's mm. the ethic you have, right? I need to take care of my, imagine if that ethic is expanded to all of society, right? No matter how rich or poor I am, I need to take care of my, of my society, of my community, right? That's not necessarily like fascism or whatever, but like the ethic is something that is separate from, demo- from democracy, I think. I think individual liberty is a separate concept from democracy and you can, and, 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 wow. and so, yeah. Okay. Uh, but why would a dictator allow for individual freedom or any kind of process of democratic decision making? Because by definition, a dictatorship is authoritarian. 
Not necessarily, right? Um, you have you have things called illiberal democracies where you have a court, you have a um, you have relatively free media. But what happens is there's there's so much engagement between the courts yeah. and the executive that like all their actions look coordinated, mm. right? And so. That's illiberal because the fact that the executive can talk to the court so, so many times is something that a liberal order would, would shy, would, would shy away from. It's like, no, leave the chief justice alone, right? Chief justice, leave the president alone, right? And that kind of suspicion is the ethic of liberalism, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm saying that if you remove the ethic of individual, in, individualism, you might find yourself in a situation where you have democracy that doesn't sort of prioritize the sovereignty of the, of the individual, but prioritizes a sort of coordinated moving uh sort of moving movement forward. of society. Yeah. And I mean as opposition, but and Eric, one of the reasons you guys have such a huge issue with this is because you don't want to bet the future of the continent just on one example, you know, Rwanda achieving a remarkably clean and efficient government. But why why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we I mean if we look at political studies in general, we we, we base our decisions based off of the best models. That have worked, and in, Afri- in the African context, there is a model, and it has worked. So why not? Um, I think even if we can argue that that's like a model that has worked in terms of um, what's happening in Rwanda, I think at the point where people are still suppressed in some kind of way, it's not a perfect model, right? Because this is something that we kind of like spoke to within our speeches that it's not just enough for us to be like happy and praise that there's been economic development and improvement, right? That that's not the that's not the be all and end all of what people want for themselves and what they want for their lives. So at the point where people are still questioning that this is not the kind of system that we want to live in, then we should still look um, for a different system, which is people are lending, lending themselves towards democracy. And I kind of wanted to touch on what um, Dumelo said of the fact that like the turnover of leaders is too fast within a, like a, de- a democratic state and you aren't then able to like put in policies into place to ensure that that, to allow those policies to develop to the point where they actually make changes, right? So, like, even if we then argue that there should be a sort of extension of, um, of, of the, the terms of pres- presidents, right? That we don't want it to be five years, we want it to be at least 10 years. So you at least have enough time to actually make actual changes. The fact that there's still some kind of limit then means that there's pressure on those leaders to perform and that they aren't just there, like, I can just do what I want to do because no one is going to drive me out. But immediately when we remove those, like, barriers of terms and those limitations we then fall into a trap of like basically being at um basically being at the mercy of that dictator and whatever they want to do mm. well i'm going to ask all of you to, to give me your real personal opinion <laughs> on this issue assuming you had the power to sway a rally to support a specific view on the day before a important election or important meeting with the president of any African country. What would you say? Hmm. Eric, you <laughs> in a while. Um, so personally, I am a proponent of liberalism and mm, liberal mm, democracies. I mm. think the sacrifices that a benevolent dictator would ask of the people is a tall order. So like mm. in Singapore, for example, 25% of your monthly income has to be put away for like state usage into like building roads and all of those things. So that's a valuable and like, um, admirable outcome that would result. Mm. It just requires a lot from you as an individual. And because mm. of that, it would also require a lot of propaganda to make individuals submissive towards mm. that. I think liberalism and letting the people like 
do not anarchy, but like having some sort of autonomy over themselves is something that is valuable at the mm. end of the day. Sure. Tomorrow. Though I think like Eric has got a point, right? That like individual liberties are something that we ought to aspire to have, something that we should try and preserve. At the same time, look at like it has to be very contextual when you answer this question. Like mm. where you are, because we aren't in Asia, we aren't in America, and we also have to like, understand the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect democracy. Mm. Every democracy is flawed, and in some to some like in which extent like there's always an extent to which your individual liberties will always be suppressed, mm. wherever it is, whether it's be like the oldest democracy, whether it be like the U.S., U.K., whatever. So my thing is, I think the most important thing for Africa right now, specifically if we're going into like towards this train of like decolonization and we're trying to like ma- make Africa one of like the large contenders in the world, it has to be on development mm. and in, in that case i don't necessarily think that like this like liberal democracy is the best case for development mm. in africa mm. yeah i i would say um radical democracy i sub um subject yeah subject unfortunately some of your will to the greater good right and what that means is ta- high taxes are fine to the extent that we're paying for people's meals um so yeah i think that one of the thing that i would say is to any leader right is that democracy right no dictatorships mm. not at all right but democracy everywhere no boss who runs an institution that we run by themselves mm. right no no one with any sort of sovereign power over themselves and over others mm. that's it sure that's basically also like in line with what i think i think um just autonomy is extremely important so whatever people want in terms and like should they should be allowed to exercise themselves like freely right and the best model that we can achieve that in even if it is flawed is within a democratic model and that even if we can argue that in terms of practicality and development is slower than the other systems like you would rather be in a system that if even if it took you longer to get there you get to a better form of life opposed to just accepting something for the now and like still living basically in a state that isn't satisfying and not in a way that you want to live right so i think because of that i'd still lean towards like democratic rule mm. now dr matambo i think the sentiment that um has been covered throughout this debate and even in this post debate session is that africa is desperate for change and um africans want their livelihoods to be secured but you said this yourself in your opening that uh, economic progress does not have to come at the expense of individual liberties so if you were to give you know the listener a takeaway in terms of how do we build um political systems that are both progressive but also protect our liberties and give us you know the full benefit of our rights you know as eric has kept mentioning and rehashing in this debate what would you say you know um how would you say we need to reimagine our political we can reimagine our political system by what i usually call a bottom up approach because we have noted in africa that if we have to leave our governments to do our bidding then we 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 are in for a disaster because we have seen that our economic and political system in africa is susceptible why because our leaders do things out of desperation mm. in 1989 we said okay we are done now with the with the east we are going to embrace liberal democracy what happened now after 2008 The, the the prospects for capitalism and its success were kind of dwindling and now all of a, all of a sudden the east the eastern option is seen as as an as, as a an result one, yeah. so the problem that we have is just that the lack of principle we don't mm. know our leaders do not know exactly where they want to take the continent all they want to do is 
we are just going to bend our will towards whoever is giving us the money. Mm. And that is a problem that we have. Mm. The Chinese are coming to Africa, but they know exactly what they want. Mm. The United States knows exactly what it wants. Does Africa know what it wants? I don't think our leaders for now, as from, from what we have, we have witnessed yeah. historically, know exactly what they want. So what we need as Africans actually is a bottom-up approach where citizens, especially ordinary citizens, mm. through mm. the power of the ballot, through education, they try in as much as they can to revolutionize the continent because we cannot rely on our political leaders. They have repeatedly let us down. So let us from the grassroots embark on a system that will support democracy, but at the end of the day as well is going to sustain economic progress. Mm. But let us do it as citizens. Let us not just relinquish our responsibility mm. to the government. Sweet and short. I think nothing more needs to be said uh, beyond that idea of bottom-up Renewal, And if you know me, you know I'm a huge advocate for change coming directly from the citizens. Personal agency is going to become more important than ever in redefining our political trajectory as a continent. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Interchange. We hope that you enjoyed it. Send us your comments, share, make sure that we know your views. But most importantly, how are you going to use your agency to redefine our future? This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by APSA and Simon amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange, seeing Africa through a youthful lens.